Imagine the shock you would feel if the next time you looked in the direction of the Chicago skyline, it was gone, reduced to rubble. That's about what Jesus' disciples would have felt like in the scripture we'll read today. As our story begins, they're admiring the Jerusalem temple, making small talk about its beautiful stones and decorations. But Jesus' mind was elsewhere. Talk of temple architecture was trivial compared to what Jesus was in Jerusalem to do. He had come to Jerusalem to die. Die and pay for the sin of all who would believe in him. So the seriousness of the moment makes Jesus change the subject to another feature about the temple. That it wasn't going to last. Jesus says, one day, all these stones, they're getting thrown down. All this beautiful temple you're distracted by, gone. Cease to exist. Jesus doesn't change the subject to be a killjoy. He changes the subject to prepare his loved ones for his departure. Jesus knows things that are going to go down in the future, and so he doesn't have much time. He's getting ready to be betrayed and crucified, so he doesn't have time to talk decorations. He wants his disciples to know what's going to happen to them, what to do about it, and what to believe as it happens, because he's a good shepherd who cares for his sheep. Please open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 21, verse 5. We're going to read through the passage before considering how Jesus prepares us for what awaits. Luke 5, Luke 21, 5. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be tares and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom 
which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on in the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, Straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged in the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. The big idea of today's passage is heaven and earth will pass away, but Christ's words will not pass away. I get that straight from verse 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I say that's the big idea because how does the passage start? Jesus predicting the temple will pass away. So he's contrasting the temple with his word. But not only the temple, he also predicts the city of Jerusalem, 
and heaven and earth will pass away. All these things will pass away. But my words will not pass away. What does that mean? What does it mean for words to not pass away? Words pass away in at least two ways. They're forgotten or they're powerless. My great-grandparents' words, for example, have passed away. I don't even know who they were. I've never heard anything they ever said. Nor do their words hold an ounce of sway over my life. Their words have passed away. Compared to Christ's words, millions of people around the world gather every Sunday to be reminded of his words and to repent where their lives fail to conform to his words. And there won't be a coming Sunday when Christ's words won't be remembered or powerful. In fact, it's the power of his words that keep them remembered. What Christ says happens. So when Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not, he means his words are the most trustworthy, longest-lasting, ever-relevant realities in the universe. Your social media feed, the news, and everything coming out of Hollywood is irrelevant, evaporating gibberish, comparatively. It's all passing away. All those conflicting voices you hear, offering their opinions about everything under the sun, opinions they came to the conclusion of yesterday. Jesus' words pierce through the smog of society's passing opinions and offers truth that transcends millennia to all who have ears to hear. So today, as we gather to do every Sunday, we shall sit at the feet of Jesus and receive words that will never pass away. What words in Luke 21 does Jesus want us to heed? What words does he interrupt his disciples' sightseeing to focus their attention on? To begin, in verses 8 and 9, Jesus wants his disciples to heed words of caution. After Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple, his disciples have questions in verse 7. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Nearly the rest of the chapter is Jesus' response to this question. His response begins in verse 8 with words of caution. And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. What are Jesus' two initial cautions? 
The first is in verse 8. See that you are not led astray. False teachers are coming. They will identify themselves as the Messiah, saying, I am he. Or they will prophesy the world is ending, either at a specific time or at any moment, and say, the time is at hand. Jesus says, do not go after them. If someone were to stroll in here and claim to be Messiah, I think all of our heresy alarms would go off. But end-time prophecies are a little more tempting and way more common. If someone says, the time is at hand, don't go after them. The proof someone is wrong about when Jesus is coming back is if they think they know when Jesus is coming back. If they name a date, if they say he's definitely coming back within our lifetimes, Jesus says to you, don't go after them. Quite obvious, Jesus' words of caution here have not passed away. Only God knows how many kooks have claimed to be Messiah since Jesus said these words. There's been so many, Wikipedia has a whole list of them. And only God knows how many people still make end-of-the-world predictions after 2,000 years of failure. Moving on, Jesus' second caution is in verse 9. When you hear of wars and tumults, one translation says wars and civil unrest, when you hear of them, do not be terrified. Why should war and civil unrest not seem terrifying. Verse 9, Jesus says, Do not be terrified, for these things must first take place. They must first take place. Do war and civil unrest sound like glitches in God's plan to you? In a mysterious way, God is just as much in control of chaos as calmness. Somehow, he works even chaos for his glory and his children's good. So we need not be terrified by chaos because these things must first take place. After speaking words of caution in verses 8 and 9, Jesus transitions to speaking words about persecution. What words on persecution does Jesus need his disciples to know before they're persecuted? Hear his words starting in verse 10 all the way through verse 19. Then he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, 
For I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. If you've been attending our Wednesday night Bible studies in the book of Acts, or if you've read Acts yourself, then you know story after story, verse fulfills verse after verse of Jesus' prophecy here. Acts recounts in fulfillment of verse 12, Christians are persecuted and brought before authorities. In fulfillment of verse 13, Christians then have an opportunity to bear witness. In fulfillment of verse 15, none of their adversaries are able to answer them. Peter, Paul, Stephen, all got beat up, all were given a mouth and wisdom. Jesus' words did not pass away. What do, what do we think sharing the gospel should be like? Jesus prepares his disciples in verse 13 to anticipate this will be your opportunity to bear witness. Persecution will be your opportunity to bear witness. Awkward conversations are your opportunity. Risk is your opportunity. At work, at school, when relationships are on the line, that's your opportunity to speak words of Christ that will never pass away. Jesus gives us a heads up in verse 17. You will be hated by all for my namesake. Now how am I supposed to work up the courage to share the gospel if I'm almost guaranteed hatred? Jesus makes promises to you that will never pass away. Promise number one, verses 14 to 15. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth in wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Talking about Jesus isn't like a courtroom debate where you prepare answers for your opponent's objections ahead of time. Because then your faith would be in your premeditated answers, not God. Don't trust your preparedness. Trust in this promise. In opportunities to speak of Jesus, the maker of heaven and earth is with you. And his wisdom makes the wisdom of man Sounds silly. Promise number two, to encourage the frightened evangelist, no matter what happens, no matter if your friends think you're completely whack, no matter if you're blacklisted at work, no matter if you die, the promise in verse 18 is for you, Christian. Not a hair of your head will perish. Does that guarantee us 
Physical protection? No, look at verse 16. Jesus says, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Do you know, brothers and sisters, that for the Christian, death and perishing are not the same? To die for the Christian is not to perish. Not a hair of your head will perish. How? For this reason, as Jesus proclaimed earlier in Luke, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Oh, beloved, if you take this promise to heart, Jesus' counsel to not be terrified in verse 9 will become possible. You won't be terrified of those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do because you'll only fear the one who has authority to cast it into hell. And because he's promised believers heaven, you can say, what can man do to me? Jesus' words on persecution will never pass away. And neither will the souls perish of those who believe his words. Jesus prepares his disciples for persecution until verse 19. Then he prepares them for the destruction of Jerusalem in verses 20 to 24. What does Jesus predict will happen to Jerusalem after his death? His prediction starts in verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This happened nearly 40 years after Jesus says this. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem's destruction came at the hand of Rome. You don't have to take my word on it. Historians have written about it. I watched a documentary about it the other day. What Jesus, is, what Jesus prophesies about the destruction of an entire city happens because Christ's words will not pass away. What he says happens every time. But why did it happen? Why was Jerusalem's destruction prophesied? Was Jesus just predicting some random event in the future? 
Or was Jerusalem's destruction already prophesied? Look again at verse 22. These are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Written where? What writing is Jesus referring to? Throughout the Old Testament, God's prophets warned Israel of the consequences of unfaithfulness. God promised in Deuteronomy he'd bless Israel if they obey him and curse them if they rebel. And what greater sin has been committed than the rejection and murder of the Son of God in the flesh? God was with Israel more near than he'd ever been. And God's love was met with Israel's rage till they killed God's own son. That's why verse 22 says, these are the days of vengeance. Because God is faithful to inflict vengeance on those who are unfaithful to his son. The details are eerie. God promises in Deuteronomy, if Israel's unfaithful, quote, your high and fortified walls in which you trusted will come down throughout all your land. In AD 70, Jerusalem boasted three walls. Rome crushed all three. Later verses in Deuteronomy even prophesy in the heat and starvation of war, mothers would eat their own children. A history book about the war records the horrors of a mother doing just that. Sin is disgusting. Sin's devastation knows no bounds. It makes you lose your mind. And Jesus grieves over it in verse 23. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing and infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. Jesus' words about Jerusalem did not pass away. Jesus desires a much different fate for us. After prophesying Jerusalem's destruction, he foretells signs of the last days. Plenty of people make predictions about the last days that prove wrong. What prediction about the last days will not pass away? Read with me Jesus' words in verses 25 to 33. 25 to 33. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars. And on the earth, the stress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, Straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. 
and he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. These are some of the most debated verses in Luke. For the sake of time, we're going to focus on what matters most in these paragraphs. What matters most is not when the last days happen, nor all the details of what the signs will look like. What matters is that the Son of Man is coming back. And somehow we'll all know it's about to happen, not just a few people with a hunch. What matters is that the Son's return means reason to rejoice for his bride. Jesus says in verses 27 and 28, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. While everyone in verse 26 is freaking out because of what's happening in the world, Christians have reason for confidence, reason to straighten up and raise their heads because the redemption is drawing near. The moment they've been waiting for, the moment they've been groaning for, to see the all-powerful one, to behold with eyes great glory they had only known by faith. What is the Christian's redemption? It's to experience adoption as God's children, fully and finally, to be given new bodies, uncorrupted by sin, and conformed to the image of the Son of Man, redeemed to be with God and enjoy His great glory forever. This is the redemption awaiting those who believe that the words of Christ will never pass away. Finally, after encouraging his disciples, Jesus instructs them how to live until his return. How should we respond to Jesus' words we just read that will never pass away? Verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. To the same people who Jesus encourages to straighten up and raise your heads, to those same people he warns, but watch yourself. Why? Verse 34, lest your hearts 
be weighed down with dissipation. Dissipation means hangover and drunkenness and cares of this life. How have your cares been this week? What cares were on your heart when you woke up this morning? As the beauty of the temple distracts the disciples from Jesus, so cares of this life distract us from Jesus' coming. Is not evidence of this. Our ability to go all week without thinking of Jesus' coming once, let alone living in light of it. In this broken world, cares of this life will compete for your attention with every new sunrise. Watch yourself. Have a holy self-awareness about whether your heart is weighed down by cares of this life or strengthened by hope in the next. Lest that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What should be the day of your redemption comes upon you like a trap if you let your heart be weighed down by cares of this life. How many friends have you had who've walked toward cares of this life and away from Christ? Professing Christians, former church members, who followed their weighed down hearts toward distractions. This is serious. Jesus gives his disciples a double exhortation. Watch yourself. Stay awake. What's the difference, you ask? There isn't any. Jesus urges them to be careful twice to emphasize the danger that awaits them. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Those aren't my words. Those are the Apostle Peter's words. Take your faith Seriously, this doesn't mean that someone who's genuinely born again can lose their salvation. It does mean that someone who seems genuinely born again can be deceived. Those whose redemption is truly drawing near, watch themselves. Those who are truly redeemed, Stay awake. Stay awake how? Verse 36. But stay awake at all times, praying. Praying is how you stay awake. Going to God, talking to Him, is how you stay awake. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray for strength to stand before the Son of Man? How is it even possible for a sinner to have strength to stand 
before he whom every knee will bow. A sinner with zero strength to stand before the king who upholds the universe by the word of his power. How could God possibly give us such strength? The only ones who will have strength to stand before King Jesus when he comes with power and great glory are those who have cried, Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. It is those in Christ, united to him, like a head to a body, like a vine to a branch, only those hidden in him will be saved by him. It takes Christ's strength to stand before Christ, which is yours if the Holy Spirit lives in you. Hallelujah. This morning, are you unsure if you are in Christ? If so, obey Jesus and pray. All of us have disobeyed God's words that have, will not pass away. Unrepentant sin makes us enemies of God. And without Christ, nothing will stand between you and the wrath of God when you stand before the Son of Man. Compared to the destruction of that day, the destruction of Jerusalem will sound like a scraped knee. That doesn't have to be your fate. You've heard words today that will never pass away. That's God's kindness towards you. Repent of your sin and believe that what Jesus came to Jerusalem to do is sufficient to save you. His death on the cross secured the redemption for all who will believe in him. And his resurrection from the dead is the reason his words will never pass away. And why, when believers pass away, neither will they perish. But trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior and being united to him is the only way to receive the benefits of his death. Put your hope, beloved, in the only words that will not pass away. Can you say that about the cares of this life that dominate our thoughts? You can't. Everyone in this room has a deathbed waiting for them. And when we lay there, mere moments from passing away, and we look back down the corridor of our lives to the few things we can remember, will we have devoted our hearts to cares of this life that have long since passed away? Will we have, have let words that will not pass away collect dust on our shelves as we devote our hearts to what? No one nears the day they'll stand before the Son of Man and thinks, I spent too much time in Scripture getting to know him. There were other glories 
I could have gazed upon. Other voices that would have strengthened me more for this moment. Surely not. And the Son of Man offers himself to you now. Jesus desires to speak words to you that will never pass away. That's what just happened as we read Luke 21. Words of life, words of protection, as he did to his disciples, to shepherd you into his everlasting sheepfold. He's made a way for you to sit at his nail-pierced feet until the day you stand before them. He's preserved a book over the course of millennia, all so we would know him. He wants you to enjoy the great glory you can behold forever now by faith. Will you be worshiping 10,000 years from now what you're living for today? 10,000 years from now, Jesus will still be king. His word will still be sweeter than honey. And 10,000 years from now, not a hair on the heads of those who believed in him will have perished. And that, beloved, is reason to straighten up and raise your heads. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for these words of life you've not only revealed to us in Scripture, but by your wise and good providence have brought into each of our individual lives, entered each of our individual stories, because you love us. Help us feel the weight of our lack of entitlement to access to your beautiful words, words that will never pass away, and help us do the math, Lord, between devoting ourselves to words that will never pass away to everything else that is passing away, Lord. Oh, Lord, our hearts are so divided. Without your help, we need your spirit we need your strength. Thank you for giving so many of us that strength in Christ already. We praise you, Lord. Now keep, you, keep us. We are confident that you will keep us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.